0: Today on the Voices of Experience podcast, a new year's resolution.
1: Leading with clarity, I think, is the a, a theme for me uh, as we go into 2024.
0: Like many resolutions, of course, that's easier said than done, especially as Slalom's general manager, Ben Deep, stares down the artificial intelligence technology that's sprinting toward him.
1: We wanna make sure that it's a very human-centered focus around how we implement and roll out Uh, and help our clients to the AI uh, transformation there.
0: Slalom is all about thriving during turbulence and doing it together as human beings. That approach applies to AI, but it also applies to the culture at Slalom, which has been recognized as one of Fortune's top 100 companies to work for not once, not twice, but eight years running. On this episode, some advice for creating a culture as successful as Slalom's and maintaining it, even when the going gets tough. Plus, I ask Ben for one tip for building a successful relationship when networking. Ben, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you, Lauren. I was looking through your LinkedIn posts from the last couple of years, and all of them seem to be focused on highlighting employees and Slalom's positive work culture. And I found myself wondering, how did you learn what a good work culture is?
1: It's probably the culture that I was searching for more than the culture that I was um, made aware of. For me, probably the answer is around understanding what it is that you're looking for, um, learning through the organizations that you, you're a part of, and then figuring out which is the right organization that aligns the best with um, you know, what, what you're searching for.
0: What are some of your values that you feel really align with Slalom?
1: yeah um so i love i love building that's something that uh, i really enjoy doing right creating something new building something experimenting around that uh the value of learning Uh, we are a consulting organization but i think at the core of it a lot of our folks who are part of this organization love to learn and you know we are always being challenged with new advances in technology new ways of doing work new uh, processes that are out there new modern kind of architectures around that right and so i think the value of learning uh, is very uh, important to me. Uh, the value of purpose, that you know, having purpose around what you do is really important.
0: This might be kind of a softball, but what difference does a positive work culture make in an office?
1: You know, I think the, the very positive culture will allow us to uh, really stretch out people and really find that alignment in regards to where people want to focus time, where people want to become really good at, the passion that they wanna to bring to the organization as well as the work that they do. And then I think as a result of that, when, you, when you're able to find that intersection of things that people are really good at and the passion of studying and learning and growing, I think you get something really magical.
0: Slalom is clearly doing this in a good way because you're regularly recognized as one of the top places to work. I'm wondering for businesses and business leaders who maybe aren't as established in this area, where do you even begin to create a culture like Slalom's?
1: We have an exceptional leader in our CEO um, that is extremely purpose-driven, that uh, really pushes and stretches the organization. There's always more. There's always more impact that we can create. There's a challenging mindset and environment. And I think it's it's got to start with a really aligned leadership team that believes that that is important. And I think foundationally for us through the years, through the eight and a half years that I've been at Slalom, that has been something that we will not compromise on. And I think as you continue to build even an organization like ours that have grown you know, to nearly $3 billion from where we were started. We we make that as the utmost important part of our business and part of uh, the organization that we're part of. And I think as long as you continue to hold that as, um, you know, a really core element of how you grow your business, you can continue making sure that the culture, although it will evolve, the values around that continue to live on. mm
0: mm-hmm. So eight and a half years of doing this, are you still using the same tactics to implement change?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, We refine a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think uh, it kind of goes back to, you know, culture evolves. And I think the values of what we have as an organization is, is pretty consistent. So as we continue to grow, when I joined the organization, we were about 120 here just in the Denver market. You know, and we're nearly 700 here in Denver yeah, you know, the organization continues to grow. The culture continues to grow. I had a colleague once said, you know, as we continue to um, hire people into our organization, um, he was talking about we want to make sure that that cultural baggage from the last organization doesn't get <laughs> brought into our organization. And so I think it's as you can continue to grow, um, you know, from you know a smaller to a larger organization. Again, the foundation of those values have to be consistent and, you know, have to be at the front and center, but allowing your yourself as well as the organization to adapt and to that change, I think is really, um, you know, part of the journey and part of the process. So.
0: so some of the words on the Slalom website, let's thrive in turbulence together, mm-hmm. is right there on the homepage. And so I wanted to ask you the question that's posed on the site as well, which is how does putting people first help your business thrive in a chaotic world?
1: Yeah, when your people thrive and your, 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 your folks um, have purpose in regards to what they're doing and they're thriving in that environment, they're able to show up in um, the right way. They're able to be productive. They're able to you know, um, you know, meet our customers where they're at. They're able to you know, form meaningful relationships and conversations you know, as part of that as well. And so just even last night, we just had our, we, we do a quarterly every quarter uh, to celebrate our people, to celebrate our culture. And, um, you know, we probably had, you know, a few hundred folks within our, our office, you know, during that time. And, you know, a lot of the folks that were there really enjoyed seeing each other and being together. Um, and even the client was there and recognized that this is, there's something really neat and special around what we're doing and how we celebrate and our client said, you know, that's that type of energy and that type of celebration uh, and that type of culture transcends past the organization, and we feel it as a customer and a client as well. And so I think by, by making sure that, you know, your people um, are really uh, aligned to where you're going as well as aligned to what they need, I think you we, we get to be able to show up the way we want to show up.
0: Business has ups and it also has downs, and I know Slalom recently had to go through a kind of a tougher stretch where it laid off 900 employees in September. And so from a cultural aspect in a company, how do you support your people in this process, through this process, and how do you make sure that your culture stays strong on the other side of it?
1: That, that was a really difficult decision for us to make. You know, We have never done that before. And it took a lot of time for us to figure out what was the right decision uh, for our organization as what well was the right decision to be able to support our people within the organization. There was, um, there's a couple of statements out there that I, I think is uh, really relevant to this topic. Um, you know, we, were, we have this event called Art4. And one of our guest speakers there was Indra Nuyi, former CEO of Pepsi. And she said... Um, growth is like oxygen without growth. Uh, it really kind of sucks away, you know, the life of the company and your best and your brightest leave. And I think as we go through this tough, um, you know, kind of uh, challenge that we've had, uh, when we made that decision, we want to make sure that when we look at the organization and we look where we need to go in the future, that we are able to support our people who are part of the organization that we're developing um, in the right way and sometimes those difficult decisions are you know a, a result of what we need to do to be able to enable the growth you know for the for, for our organization so
0: how do you go about explaining that to the people that maybe haven't lost their jobs but have seen their coworkers or people that they're very fond of lose theirs
1: yeah like I said, it was really difficult for us to, to, to do. Um, I feel like we took an extreme amount of care in um, how we treated uh, individuals that we either had to let go, and then how do we make sure that we're um, also uh, taking care of those that are part of you know our future moving forward? And so I think it's as as we were going through that, one of the things that I heard a lot from our folks that were even impact around that, is the gratefulness around the ability to be part of the organization and the ability to grow a part of that. And then also, um, yeah, as the opportunity you know, presents itself in the future, the ability to be able to come back as well. So,
0: What's the next thing that you're focused on improving or enhancing at Slalom, whether from a cultural standpoint or a practical operational standpoint?
1: Yeah, there's probably uh, a couple big things out there. One, I think, as we all know, we we can't get through a conversation without an AI conversation. (laughs) And so, you know, that's uh, really top of mind for us as an organization around how do we make sure that we're uh, really front and center in regards to what that um, disruption looks like for our clients, for the industry, and where that technology is going. Um, So we have a lot of different programs in place right now around how do we make sure that both our people are skilled and trained and become an, you know an expert within that uh, that domain so that we can be able to work with our clients uh, in the right way uh, as we move forward uh, to help you know uh, help them figure out what this journey might look like for them on a maybe more operational side I think as leaders I've done a lot of reflection on this Lauren and you know I feel like over the last couple of years uh, we as leaders, um, you know, there's been a lot of factors across, you know, what we've had to deal with over the last number of years. Um, you know, I feel like we uh, have the ability as leaders to be uh, potentially more uh, deliberate and clear in regards to where we're going, what we're doing, what those, you know, that path looks like. And I think so leading with clarity, I think, is a, is a theme for me as I go into uh, as we go into 2024 so.
0: I'm so glad you steered us toward AI because I was going to drive us there anyway. Okay. Artificial intelligence AI is all over the place right now. It's Mm -hmm. the the talking point, like you said. And a phrase that I saw a lot when I was researching slalom was human-machine collaboration. And I was wondering if you could tell us what that means and how slalom facilitates that.
1: As we look across how we provide uh, and help our clients through this journey, how do we do it in a way that is very human-centered? And human centric, right? Because at the end of the day, right now humans are at the center of this this impact. And so, when we look at things, whether it's you know revenue uptick, you know as a result of how do we leverage AI in the future, or operational changes as a result of that, I think we got to make sure that we keep the human at the center of what we design and and how we actually roll and implement this out.
0: Do you get pushbacks from companies that are hesitant to implement AI?
1: We do. I would say there's. Um, I think what's important is as an organization and potentially as a leadership team, that those organizations really understand what path do they want to be a part of. Um, There are three different paths. You know, path one is as an organization, we want to be a leader around this, right? We want to be a leader in gen AI. We want to be a leader in AI. Second path is we want to be an organization that experiments with this and understands, you know, let's do a few use cases. Let's try it out but we're gonna experiment. We might not be the, 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 the forefront of this, but let's experiment with a few of the use cases. And then we see a, a number of clients that are kind of the wait and see, right? Like we're not ready to take those first two steps. We don't want to be a leader, and we're not sure you know, if we're ready to experiment with this. But I think where I see some organizations is some parts of the organization want to be in that leader path. Some parts of the organization want to experiment. and Other parts of the organization you know, aren't, aren't ready yet, and so they're in kind of this wait-and-see mode. And so I think that alignment in regards to what path do you want to be in, I think, is really important. So,
0: While we're talking about AI, Bin, I've got a question for you from one of our students here at Daniels. Hi, this is Mary-Margaret Cook. I'm a Denver MBA student. And I want to ask how you see AI potentially changing the way that consulting works in the future.
1: There are so many different applications of AI right now that if we look at AI as an advisor or a supplement uh, to who we are and what we do, uh, I think there is a huge uh, amount of productivity gain from a consultant standpoint. As an example, if we use AI to help us craft messaging, as a starting point, communication, right? That's That could save us time. If we use AI to drive uh, some insights into the operations of our business, that would be a huge lift. If we use AI to help us through allowing us to understand our clients in a way that we can meet our clients where they're at, Um, if we use generative AI to allow us to, you know, research our clients in a way that uh, is more, it's more personable, uh, I think that's another uh, opportunity for us to leverage AI. So I think there's just a lot of use cases and uh, we're kind of just at the start of it. And I think we'll continue to find out a lot more opportunities um, as a supplement to, you know, what we do on a daily basis.
0: On a more micro-individual level, there's a list on your website uh, for the top-ranked skills for AI-driven workplaces, and we'll put that list on our show notes so people can check it out if they want, but maybe can you boil it down to one or two skills that you see as the most important for working professionals to develop?
1: A skill set that I think is really important is understanding the technology around it but then having the acute awareness in regards to what does it really truly mean from a human-centered perspective to be able to lead um, the organization of the folks within that organization around this change.
0: Before you came to Daniels, you did not have a business degree. Is that right?
1: That's correct, yeah. As a chemical engineer uh, graduating from the University of Connecticut, I knew after I graduated that just was not the path that I was looking for. And shortly after that, I joined Anderson Consulting, which became Accenture, uh, because I was searching for what that path could be. Did
0: you panic at all after a few years of studying engineering and realizing, uh, this isn't the path for me? I don't
1: I don't think I panicked. Um, <laughs> so I, I went into that path because I'm one of five, and my oldest brother was a chemist, Graduated from, all five of us went to the University of Connecticut. It was what we could afford in uh, a good school. And um, my oldest brother went there. And uh, when I entered college, I said, uh, what should I be when I grow up? And he said, well, um, you could be a chemist chemi like me. Uh, it's a hard degree. People will likely respect it when you graduate and you'll likely get a job. So um, that was an input into my decision to be a chemie. I also thought maybe uh, going down the medical path was something that I was uh, looking you know, looking forward to. Um, you know, so that's how I started it. And I think by the time that I realized, maybe my third year is to your point, Lauren, <laughs> uh, that that probably wasn't the path for me. I felt like I was so close to finishing it anyways. Sorry. Well. So I might as well finish yeah. it. And then that's when I started pursuing a different path where um, consulting sounded like a very, very interesting path. So,
0: Was it a pretty natural thing for you to slip into?
1: Consulting? Yeah. Natural in the sense that, um, so that year, give or take, I think about, uh, we had a graduating class of 13 chemies that graduated um, with a chemical engineering degree from the University of Connecticut. Six or seven of us went to Anderson Consulting. So the reason why I say that is, there is um, you know there is some association at least during that you know the, the late 90s there, where engineers uh, had the at least the, the capacity to become consultants. There was a technology aspect of that engineering degree. There was a process rigorous process part of that degree. There was a capacity to learn. And then you know there was also how do you want how do, how do you look at, you know these individuals, and are they folks that have worked well in teams? Have they done leadership roles, and so on and so forth? Some of the more soft skills around that. So I think jumping into consulting, it was certainly I knew nothing about it. It was not something that I grew up thinking I can be a consultant one day. And so I think from that perspective, um, you know, I, I don't think I uh, I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, although yeah, I think the readiness from what I got. Um, from an education perspective, around you know those skills around you know problem solving and um, you know learning and being a quick learner, I think uh, was very applicable. And so there was a lot that I learned right uh, <laughs> through the the first many years there, and you know continued to do so. And that's why I love this field. So
0: you had been in business for a few years right before you came back and got your MBA.
1: I was with. Uh, I was with Accenture for about 14 years before I got my MBA, uh, or maybe 12 years before I got my MBA.
0: Why did you want to come back for that, and how did that change your professional life?
1: The, the decision to get my MBA was a, a number uh, a number of reasons. One, you know, at that point, i uh, I was starting to interact with a number of senior leaders within organizations that that we were working with, and I felt like with a technology degree, like a, you know, a chemie degree. Um, I wanted to be able to have the fundamentals in the background and the education to feel like I could go uh, toe-to-toe with those executives that are, business executives that I was working with. So that was really important, that, you know, that core foundational part of the degree. The second part of that was uh, at that point, um, we were starting a family. I had, I had one child at that point in time, and it was really important for me to be connected to this community Uh, I was here for a number of years, and I didn't feel, being a consultant that traveled every week, didn't feel like I was part of this community. And so I think the second part of why that was important for me was because I wanted this to be the community that I lived in. I wanted this to be the community that I served. I wanted to be this community that I impacted. And so that was uh, a big part of uh, the decision to attend DU.
0: I was reading your LinkedIn profile, which says you have a proven track record of three things: driving strategic processes, managing operations, and building relationships. I don't know if this is like a favorite child situation here, but I'm going to ask you which of those three is the most important to you and why.
1: <laughs> building relationships, uh, top top number one. Right, it's just so important and. Um, in what we do, and um, the joy I get in uh, interacting and meeting uh, people, um, or you know, finding something that uh, uh, that 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 is aligned and that we do together. Uh, so I think building, yeah, building relationships is, is would be number one.
0: I feel like that's a term that at least I throw around a lot. But then when I think about being in a room, networking, and trying to build these relationships, is a little bit of panic for me. Mm-hmm. What is one tip that you would have for building a relationship with someone?
1: Being curious is probably the word that comes to mind. At approaching that conversation with curiosity. Like I said, there's always something to learn from, from another person. And I think if you're genuinely curious about what it is they do, where they're from, what, what they're working through, uh, I think that creates an authentic connection um, so I think curiosity, leading with curiosity is what I would say.
0: One last question for me here for you, which we ask all our guests is, as a voice of experience on the podcast here, what's one thing that you would want to tell our listeners?
1: I got a chance to, do, uh, to deliver a commencement speech for uh, Daniels, mm-hmm. and um, a big theme of that is around uh, living life with purpose. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think understanding your purpose will allow you to make uh, the greatest impact and will allow you to be able to get the most out of the opportunity that we have. And so I would say, you know, find that purpose, live that life with purpose, uh, and uh, that will allow you to create the biggest impact that I think you want to be able to make.
0: Bindeep Deep is the general manager at Slalom and a graduate of the Daniels College of Business with his MBA in 2012. Ben, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you, Lauren. When I think about living in the moment, I normally think of more happiness, more long-term satisfaction. But for Ben, it also means freeing up more time. He explains in a commencement address he gave at Daniels last March. You can find that speech in full on our show notes. That's at daniels.du.edu slash voe podcast. And we'll also link you to a Q&A where Ben explains what makes a good consultant, his superpower, and much, much more. The VOE podcast is an extension of Voices of Experience, the Signature Speaker Series at the Daniels College of Business, sponsored by U.S. Bank. Patrick Orr and Sophia Holt are our sound engineers. Joshua Metzer wrote our theme. I'm Lauren Fultonberg. Happy New Year, and we'll see you soon.